The countdown's on, MP. Damo, the biggest and best wellness summit ever is fast approaching. Don't miss out on the entertainment. The education. The edutainment that is the wellness summit. Featuring for the very first time at the summit, the Merrymaker sisters, Carla and Emma Pappas, and the 2013 bachelor himself, the incredible chiropractor and sharp mover, Mr. Tim Robards, plus all of your wellness couch favorites. And wait for it, Damo. All 22 podcasts on the couch will be in attendance at the summit. Wow. So take your digital wellness couch experience and make it a real-life one at the transformational, inspirational, sensational 16 hours of Powerhouse Wellness Summit at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. September 10 and 11. More information and tickets available at www.thewellnesssummit.com. Now, before you go, Damo, there's a big competition on as of now. Every single person who registers before a 11.59pm on Sunday, August 14, goes into the draw to win a double pass to the inaugural 2016 Wellness Couch Awards Night. Amazing. You'll join the who's who of the Wellness Couch as we present for the very first time the best new podcast, most popular episode, most popular the host, the best hair, of course, MP, most awkward moment, and many more sensational awards at this night of fun and wellness frivolity. But you must enroll, folks, by August 14. Tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. wellnesscouch.com streaming wellness into your lives the real food real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health we get real on current research debunk food myths and educate you on how to just eat real food your host steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist is one of australia's leading sports nutritionists passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes smoothies and sweet potato if you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome back to the Real Food Reel. Today on the show we are joined by Dr. Ross Walker, who is a practicing cardiologist with over 35 years experience. For the past 20 years, Dr. Walker has been focusing on preventative cardiology and is one of Australia's leading preventative health experts. Hi Ross and welcome to the show. My pleasure, Steph. It's great to have you here. So as it's your first time on the show, I'd love you to introduce yourself to our listeners and share a little bit of background information and your career to date. Okay, well, I've been a, a doctor for well over 35 years, and mainly that's been in cardiology. But in the last 20 years, I've especially shown a strong interest and in, in been working in the field of preventative cardiology and also really integrative cardiology, combining the best bits of orthodox medicine with the best bits of, uh, of complementary medicine. I'm also an author of seven best-selling books, I'm one of the major speakers on the world world circuit. I speak for a lot of corporations. In February of this year, I spoke at the biggest insurance conference in the world, a thing called Million Dollar Roundtable at the Hong Kong Convention Centre to about 8,000 people. So I love a microphone. I love talking. And I'm delighted to talk about any of these things. Yeah, fantastic. So the... I like the term integrative cardiology, actually. So you, you mentioned that's a combination of conventional medicine and, um, I guess, a more modern approach. Yeah. How does that differ from, or is it the same as preventative cardiology? Well, it sort of is, but preventative cardiology is stopping people from having problems. The best treatment of heart disease, the best treatment of cancer is not to get them in the first place. And here's the problem with modern medicine. 
The way we practice modern medicine, we have the ambulance parked at the bottom of the cliff waiting for people for, uh, to fall off. But with preventative cardiology or preventative any form of medicine, you fix the rails at the top of the cliff to stop people falling off in the first place. But here's the, here's the problem. Doctors tend to wait till someone gets sick. And it's a bit like the financial world waiting for someone to go bankrupt. Then they give them financial advice. Mm, yes, very true. So what then have you seen over the course of your history with, um, I guess, how other doctors practice and shall we dive into what maybe you believe to be the biggest myths in your area of speciality? Well, as late as last Monday, the British Medical Journal published a very large study. It was 19 cohort studies of 68,000 people over the age of 60 and this study showed that LDL cholesterol, the so-called bad cholesterol, has absolutely no link to heart disease in people over the age of 60. And in fact, over the age of 60, the higher your LDL cholesterol, the lower your risk for other diseases. So we have been fed this myth for years, which just isn't true. And I've been saying this for years. Another big myth is that that there is a link between saturated fat, i.e. meat, eggs and dairy, and heart disease. Never has been, never will be. There's a little known place in the UK called Cambridge University who've been doing for the last uh, many, many years, uh, many trials on this. And they, they did a 72 trial meta-analysis of 600,000 people and showed that there is no link between meat, eggs, dairy, and heart disease. You may recall a few years back, Marianne de Macy on the Catalyst program had two segments called the heart of the matter. Uh, the first segment said that there was no link between saturated fat and heart disease. The segment, second segment said that statin drugs to lower cholesterol were being overprescribed. She was absolutely vilified by the conservative medical world for doing so. And what she said, what she said during that, those segments were completely uh, validated and vindicated, but no one's come out and apologised to her for, for really um, making her feel so bad about, about telling the truth, which is what she was doing. So there are so many myths, especially in cardiology, but in many aspects of medicine, that, that, pe that people keep perpetrating. Another thing that really drives me nuts about conservative medicine is really all the power sits with the script pad and the scalpel. And in fact, if you practice what I call the five keys of being healthy, that is twice as powerful as anything a doctor can do for you. So let me go through the five keys because I think they're so important. Number one, you cannot be healthy and have any addiction. So anyone who smokes is sick. Anyone who drinks too much alcohol is sick. Anyone who snorts cocaine is sick. So anyone who has any addictions is unwell. Number two, seven to eight hours of sleep every night is as good for your body as not smoking. So it's really important every night to cultivate a very good quality sleep habit. Number three is nutrition. That's where you're an expert, of course, Steph. Nutrition is easy. It's called eat less and eat more naturally. And if people follow that, those dictums, get rid of the uh, suggesting that anything in a box or a container is good for you. There's often graffiti written on the box, by the way, Steph, graffiti like low cholesterol or no fat, which is absolute nonsense. So if it's in a box or a container, it's not good for you. And another thing we're not talking about a lot these days is the containers the food's coming in. Because of all of the plastics and chemicals that are now, that the food's being contained in, are leaching into the food and also causing health problems. So number three, eat less, eat more naturally. Fresh are much better. 
Number four is what I call the second best drug on the planet, which is <coughs> excuse me, three to five hours every week of some form of exercise. And number five is easily the best drug on the planet, is a little thing called happiness. So if you practice those five things as well as you can, that's a 70% reduction in all diseases before you put any pill or potion in your mouth. Very good summary. And unfortunately, no one makes any money out of it, so we don't see it being prescribed anywhere near enough. Well, we should, we should be pushing that as much as possible because those five things are much more powerful than anything a doctor can do for you. Mm. So then as a cardiologist, how do you interpret, um, say, a lipid panel? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, well look, I, first, firstly, one of the things that I do in my practice, and in fact I introduced this into Australia in conjunction with the Sydney Adventist Hospital in 1999, is a thing called coronary calcium scoring. Coronary calcium scoring is a CT scanner mm. that takes a non-invasive picture of your arteries. Now unfortunately, this test has been bastardised to a thing called an intravenous CT coronary angiogram, which is an unnecessary test because it's too much radiation, it's too expensive, it's not covered by Medicare, neither is the coronary calcium score. But the coronary calcium score is four or five chest X-rays of radiation. A, an ethical radiologic practice will only charge you about $150 for the test, whereas the intravenous CT coronary angiogram can be up to 300 chest X-rays of radiation. It's not covered by Medicare, so it's an extra $500 on top of the coronary calcium scoring, and it doesn't give you any more prognostic advice over and above the coronary calcium screen. But the coronary calcium screen is easily the best predictor of heart disease risk. So looking at a lipid panel does not tell you what your risk is for heart disease. And in fact, in my view, especially in uh, view of what I said about the study that just came out last week in the BMJ, that cholesterol over the age of 60 should probably be ignored in the vast majority of people in the general public, not in people with established heart disease. But cholesterol causes heart disease up to the age of 50 or so, and after that it doesn't tend to do much. So but <laughs> when I look at a cholesterol panel, I do look at the total cholesterol, I do look at the HDL, the so-called good cholesterol, but it isn't actually. I look at the triglycerides. The LDL that you see on a lipid panel is extrapolated. It's not actually measured. And you see, here's where everyone's getting it wrong. Here's another myth for you, Steph. Everyone thinks that LDL is bad and HDL is good, and that's actually not accurate. LDL and HDL are divided into small and large components, as is HDL. It's only the small bit of LDL that is atherogenic, or in other words, puts fat in your arteries, and the small bit of HDL, which is pro-inflammatory. Large LDL, which makes up most of your cholesterol, is actually good for you. It builds healthy cell membranes, cell metabolism, brain metabolism. It also is the, the key step in steroid metabolism, bile salt metabolism, vitamin D metabolism. Large HDL sucks fat out of your arteries. So when you look at a cholesterol profile, most of it's large LDL and HDL, but we're whipping people into a frenzy about something we shouldn't be doing so. If you want to have your subfractions measured, and there's only a small group of people who need to have this done, it can be sent down to a company called Nutripath in Melbourne, with whom I have no financial association, by the way, and they they can measure your subfractions to see whether you've got a lot of small LDL. So I'll give you an example where that's necessary. I had a 36-year-old man who'd already had three stents in his arteries by that age, and he'd had a full lipid panel, which was completely normal when you look at it, 
nothing else going on in his bloodstream. But when I measured his small LDL, it was extremely high and that's what needed to be treated. So it's not just about looking at cholesterol. And, and again, so many people, I, I saw a woman today as a patient who was told that her cholesterol was getting worse and she had a cholesterol of about 6, she had a triglyceride of 0.9 and her HDL, the so-called good cholesterol, was 2.5. That's the typical pattern of large LDL, large HDL, which is incredibly healthy and good for you. So I agree with you completely. So she had come to you from another medical doctor that was scaring her with heart disease based on that panel. Yep. And I sent her downstairs to the radiology practice under my practice to a coronary calcium score. Ten minutes later, she was back with a zero score. And I said to her, you can forget about your cholesterol. It's, ignore it. It doesn't need to be addressed. But that doesn't mean I say to people, eat what you like. Because really, cholesterol doesn't have a huge amount to do with what you eat anyhow. Mm. I, I say to everybody, practice the five keys of being healthy. It's so complete, completely irrelevant to your cholesterol. Yeah, absolutely. Now, can I make one more point about looking at a cholesterol profile? Excuse mm. my last call. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just getting over a cold at the moment. Um, another important aspect of looking at the cholesterol profile is a thing called lipoprotein little a. So that's lipoprotein lowercase a in brackets. Now, that is the commonest genetic cholesterol-carrying protein. And if, if you have that in your bloodstream, you're 70% higher, higher risk of, of having heart disease. One in five people, Steph, have an elevated level of lipoprotein little a in their bloodstream. And if your doctor isn't checking for it, there's nothing you can do about it. And the, and the doctor's saying, well, there's nothing I can do about it anyhow because no drug works to lower lipoprotein little a. It mightn't do that. But there are three very good supplements that help that we can talk about a bit later on. Yeah, fantastic. So you obviously measure that in the blood as well with your patients. Yep, yep. I measure that. I look at the, the cholesterol profile, as I said. Sometimes I'll get the subfractions done. I'm also a great believer in homocysteine. Homocysteine is an indication of DNA repair. And 20% of the population have a significant mutation in a thing called the MTHFR gene stands for methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase gene, and that, that is a key uh, enzyme that keeps your DNA repair tight. You see, the problem is, and I talk about this all the time, our bodies were only designed to wander in the jungle for 30, 40 years with a spear. We weren't designed to go double A use by date, which is age 40. And so when you get to beyond your use by date, your DNA repair is not as tight. So no one at 40 looks as good as they did at 20, no one at 60 looks as good as they did at 40, so on and so on and so on. And that's because your DNA um, is not working as well as it should. And so, therefore, you get increasing mutations as you get older. Now, if your homocysteine level starts to go up as you get older, it's highly likely you have one of those mutations in the MTHFR gene. So I routinely measure homocysteine as well because certain B-group B vitamins can keep that low and keep your DNA working well, which is basically how multivitamins work. And I'll, I'll talk a bit, about, a bit about that a bit later on. And I also measure HSCRP, which is highly sensitive C-reactive protein, which is an indication of inflammation as well. I'll get vitamin D done. I'll measure a ferritin. Occasionally, I'll also measure a thing called an APOE allele, which is an indication of, of not only vascular risk, but also risk for dementia as well. So there are three different alleles. There's two, three, and four. APO, APOE33 is the normal pattern. APOE34, if you have one copy of the 4 gene, 
then you're at a higher risk of older onset dementia, two copies of the four gene, younger onset dementia. Whereas if you've got the APOE2, uh, they're people who live into their 80s and 90s very well. If you've got two copies of E2, which is incredibly uncommon, they're the people who live well beyond 100. Yeah, fascinating. So I've got a few questions um, just sure. with regards to that breakdown. So we started talking about the coronary calcium score, but then the subfraction. So do you also, before you maybe go and get that test with Nutripath, do you look at the TC to HDL ratio to learn more about the subfractions? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. If someone has a, a um, cholesterol HDL ratio less than 3.5, that's ideal. Mm-hmm. So, so, again, the woman I saw today with the, the ratio of the cholesterol of 6, the HDL 2.5, she's got a terrific cholesterol HDL ratio, low triglyceride, and a zero calcium score. So, again, her cholesterol can be completely ignored. But, but if, she, if I'd have sent her downstairs and a coronary calcium score was above 400, which is what I call the don't read Tolstoy ranking, then, then I would have uh, treated her cholesterol, I would have lowered her cholesterol with a pill, I would have given her other things that I use routinely for all of this. So, so again, I, I treat risk, not cholesterol. Yeah, absolutely. So she's an interesting example, obviously, um, and I think people like her are quite common. So how do you go delivering the message that's, basically the direct opposite of what they've been fed for their whole lifetime? Well, look, I have my own radio show. I'm on television. We're about to get my, about to get my own TV show. Mm. So these are the sort of things I'll be talking about. Mm. I've been talking about it on my own radio shows for years. And, and so it's just getting the message out there. The message is in my books as well. And, and again, I'm not saying I'm right and everyone else is wrong. I'm just giving my opinion but my opinion is backed up with, with significant scientific papers. It's yeah. not just something I have as a bit of a hunch. Oh, no, I completely agree. And there are a lot of, we also had um, Ken Sakaris on the show fairly recently, who I'm sure you know, and he's been obviously going through the, the retraining of pathologists and GPs in Australia to try and change that education at the level where the message is being delivered to the patient's. Yeah, you see, Steph, there is a, is a saying, it's a wonderful saying, that science advances funeral by funeral, and unfortunately that's true. Mm. Yeah, very unfortunately. Now, I think homocysteine is another really interesting marker because it, it's certainly slowly becoming the new total cholesterol in the way that it's being used to predict chronic disease risk, but of course, correctly. Um, what's your ideal reference range? Oh, look, I like it less than 10, mm. but ideally less than 7. Less than so anything above 10 I'm concerned about, and once it gets above 15, that's getting very concerning. Mm. And if someone, there, there are two major um, mutations in, home, in the MTHFR gene. There's the C allele is the worst one, and the A allele is, is not so good either. And so depending on which, which one a person has, if they've got the C allele, then I'll treat them with 5' methyl tetrahydrofolase. And if they've got the allele, I'll use folinic acid. So, so they, it's not suitable for that person just to take a standard multivitamin. But just whilst we're talking about this, let, let me say there's again a, another little-known university in the US called Harvard University. <laughs> and for the last 30 years, Harvard have been doing the male physician's trial and the nurse's health study. 120,000 people assessed for different health parameters over a 30-year period. Now, up to 10 years, taking a multivitamin every day did nothing, didn't help them. So I have a lot of people who take a multivitamin for a few months, they don't feel any better, so they stop. 
but they don't realise that that this you've got to be in for the long haul if you want to get the benefits. So when they looked at the males at 10 years, there was an 8% reduction in common cancers and cataracts in those people who took a multivitamin every day. Now you say, well, 8% is not much, but it's pretty good from swallowing a multivitamin every day. But here comes the killer punches. When you looked at the 15-year data in the women, there was a 75% reduction in bowel cancer, a 25% reduction in breast cancer, and a 23% reduction in cardiovascular disease. When you looked at the, the male doctors who already had heart disease at the start of the trial, at 10 years, those who took a multivitamin every day, 44% reduction in cardiovascular disease. When you look at the doctors who didn't have heart disease, the 20-year data has just been released, again, a 44% reduction in cardiovascular disease in those people who took a multivitamin every day. And the way it works is by keeping your DNA repair type through the MTHFR gene, unless, of course, you're one of the one in five people who have a significant mutation in those genes, and that's where you need to trump it up to the, to the stronger 5-prime methyl tetrahydrofolate uh, or the, um, the folinic acid. So you can see this isn't just about getting a homocysteine and swallowing a multivitamin. You've got to get more technical and more sophisticated in the way we approach homocysteine. Well, that's why I love the genetic testing, right? Because then you're removing the guesswork. And for a lot of people, that can be an explanation as to why their homocysteine is high. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you see it as well. I see high homocysteine in people that are controlling the inflammation and sleeping their eight hours and that, that you know, it can be quite worrying for them when they know the ideal is seven or, as you say, ten. Um, so then the genetic explanation is very easily treated as long as you've got the awareness as to what the correct supplement then is. Yeah, and also I, I say to anyone whose homocysteine is drifting up, get a B12 and folic acid mm. done as well because, uh, again, pernicious anemia, which is very common as you get older, uh, can be associated with low B12 levels and up goes your homocysteine. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously the, the B12 can be treated with that same supplement that you're prescribing. Mm. Absolutely. Or sometimes people do need to have a three-monthly injection, but even high-dose oral B12 can sometimes overcome that as well. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so one more question on this subtopic. I just wanted to get a bit of an appreciation as to who else you think needs to get their subfractions looked at. Oh, look, any, anyone who has a very high coronary calcium score, okay. anyone who's got vicious early vascular disease, and, and also there are certain people... Who, um, who their doctors are really leaning on them to get a statin. So I'll give you a very good case there. I had a woman who had a total cholesterol of 8, an HDL of 1, triglyceride was about 1.5, and her, her GP said, oh, you must take a statin, you're going to die if you don't take Lipitor, the sort of nonsense you hear often from, from people who don't really understand the topic that well. Mm. So I got a coronary calcium score on her, it was zero. I got a subfractions measured, she had no small LDL cholesterol at all. Oh. So I could then go back to a GP with, GP with a very strong case, leave the woman alone. Also, by the, by the way, Steph, this woman had fibromyalgia. So if you wafted a statin underneath the nose, she wouldn't be able to get out of bed. Yeah, so right. so there's a really, a really good, strong evidence there, supported by different, very sophisticated cardiologic screening tests, that she didn't need to take statin drugs. Oh, absolutely. So who, who do you then prescribe statins to? Well, I think that the, the people who should take statins, and, and I, I see statins as 20% of the therapy. 
70% of course being lifestyle. The people I give statins to are people who have established they've had a heart attack, stent, bypass, or they've got a, a, a high coronary calcium score. But then I tend, the difference between me and my colleagues, I tend to use a much lower dose of statin with a thing called bergamot. Now bergamot comes from bergamot oranges and I've got to declare right away I am one of the lead researchers in the, in, in the world on bergamot and I also have an association with the company so I've got to declare my interest there. Um, and bergamot comes from Calabrian oranges just grown on the, the little, little southern Arctic strip of Italy and the juice of the oranges has been shown to have a profound metabolic effect. So basically it breaks down sugar and fat in the gut by activating AMP kinase, it improves the microcirculation, it converts you from small LDL to large LDL, small HDL to large HDL and it protects you against fatty liver. We have published data on all of this. Now we took a group of patients uh, a few years back and we gave them 20 milligrams of resuvastatin, which is Crestor, the strongest of the four statins. We dropped their LDL cholesterol down 56.5%. Then we cut the statin in half to 10, added the bergamot, and, and we, we got their LDL down 52.5%, but a much better, greater rise in HDL and a much bigger drop in triglycerides, meaning we had a much more profound effect by converting them from small LDL to large LDL. Now, also... I minimise statin risks in my patients by putting everyone on a statin on ubiquinol, which is the active version of coenzyme Q10. So I don't use ubiquinone at all. I always give people somewhere between 150 to 300 milligrams of ubiquinol, and I use a form of magnesium orotate because it's the orotate in the magnesium that lifts up the CoQ10 in the mitochondria. And the other problem with statins is statins deplete vitamin K2 and vitamin K2 has some very good work to show that it takes calcium out of the arteries and puts it back in the bones where you want it. So I use vitamin K2 180 micrograms daily. So, so my, my package for anyone who has established coronary artery disease, either clinically or on a coronary calcium score, is to try and get their cholesterol below 4, get their triglyceride below 1, get their HDL above 1.5, because that tells me I'm reducing their small LDL cholesterol and their small HDL cholesterol. So I, I'll give them whatever statin I can get away with that A, doesn't cause them side effects because there are a bucket of side effects from statins. So the lowest dose possible to get their cholesterol dose level with the bergamot and then the ubiquinol, the magnesium orotate, vitamin K2, and there's now a very new tomato supplement called Ateranon which is about 30 tomatoes in a concentrated pill, giving you this very concentrated lactolycopene, which also helps as well. So that, that uh, program really covers people with significant coronary artery disease as far as their lipid profile goes. So 20% of the population? Uh, no, no, no. With, with, that's with homocysteine. I'm talking just generally about coronary artery disease. Now, coronary artery disease probably, well, it affects all of us but the coronary calcium score tells you how bad it is. So, for example, all males at 50, I do a coronary calcium score on all females at 60. Now, the difference is, of course, men and women suffer exactly the same amount of heart disease. Women just get it 10 years later because most women are protected by their hormones until menopause, and that's when the coronary artery disease starts to accelerate. But the second your mother gives you baby food is when you start getting little droplets of fat in the wall of your arteries, and over decades, that just slowly progresses and becomes accelerated for males at 50, females at 60. Okay. So then the bergamot, the benefits are 
decreasing the ratio or is it, sorry, the improving no. the LDL to HDL ratio? No, no, no. Converting you from small LDL to large LDL, the healthy pattern. So, so that, that's why I use, I, I think everyone over the age of 50 should take Bergamet, anyone on a statin should take Bergamet. And then the, the major cause of, of older onset coronary artery disease is metabolic syndrome, which is people who are born with the insulin resistant gene, which is 30% of Caucasians, 50% of Asians, and close to 100% of black people have the gene for insulin resistance. And so that leads to the, the five key features of the metabolic syndrome. Number one is tendency to diabetes, so you're either pre-diabetic or diabetic. Number two, hypertension, high blood pressure. Number three, high cholesterol, high triglyceride, low HDL, which is the typical dyslipidemic pattern of metabolic syndrome. Number four is fat around the belly, so for a male, a waist circumference more than 95 centimetres, for a female, more than 80 centimetres. And then the fifth component being tendency to cardiovascular disease, whether that be heart disease or stroke or peripheral vascular disease. So Bergamet helps for all of those things, and it's just good for people who are statin intolerant, which unfortunately is about 10% of the population completely statin intolerant. So what about then prescribing a low-carb, high-fat diet instead of Bergamet? I do that as well. Mm. So to me, these things, are, it's, it's not and or, I, it's, it's all of it together, which gives you the, the full benefit. Okay. So then who is statin intolerant? Well, pe people who get severe muscle pain, but well, let's just go through the side effects. 10 to 20% of people who take statins, especially in higher doses, get problems with muscle pain, weakness, stiffness, uh, cramping, and sometimes even loss of muscle bulk called atrophy. So that's 10 to 20% of people. 20% of people especially take the fat-soluble statins, which I personally don't prescribe at all. That's Lipitor and Zocor and Vitorin. So 20% of people who take those drugs especially, but even to a lesser extent with Crestor and Pravacol, the two water-soluble statins, get problems with memory, concentration, depression, fatigue, anxiety, irritability, and they don't sleep well. There is, especially with the fat-soluble statins, up to a 50% increased risk for diabetes. There is some po possible problems with the liver. So there are a whole lot of different side effects. But some people, even, even if you waft a little bit of statin under their nose, get severe muscle aches and pains or don't think straight. And they're the people who are just completely statin intolerant. And there are different genetic abnormalities which aren't clinically available to screen for, but these people make a, a very, very sensitive to statins. But again, often when you give people good doses of ubiquinol, you can minimise some of those side effects by doing so. Yeah, that was my next question. So these people, they would still potentially respond to the ubiquinol? Sometimes, but still, mm. but I've got a, a number of people, I've tried high-dose ubiquinol with magnesium orotate, and they still get the pains with the statins and they just can't take them. And look, that's not the end of the world. It's not, it's not dreadful to be statin intolerant, just that if you have severe coronary disease, that will get you long before the side effect of a drug will get you. So it's important to try and control every risk factor for coronary artery disease if you need to. But the thing that really concerns me, Steph, is that people being whipped into a frenzy about their cholesterol when they have nothing in their arteries. I saw a woman today whose cholesterol is 8, she has a high lipoprotein delay, so she should be at strong risk for heart disease, she's 68 years old, she has a zero calcium score. So why would you even bother treating someone like that or even worrying her about her cholesterol? I told her today the best treatment of her cholesterol is not to have it measured again. <laughs> to stop worrying. Yeah, stop worrying about it. Yeah. So do most people come to see you when they perhaps 
find out that the doctor's giving them wrong information or is it because they're afraid of taking statins? How does that come about? Let me again defend my colleagues. It's not wrong information. It's just different information to maybe what I think. So, so we're all just giving our opinion. You can have two world experts in an area fighting tooth and nail that the other guy's incorrect. So, because it's just based on opinions. But most of the people who come to see me are coming to see me for a second or third or fourth opinion mm. because their doctors are saying to them, you're going to die if you don't take a statin and, and, or you've got this condition when they've actually got a, a totally different condition. So, so that's the way it works. As a preventative cardiologist, they come and see me because they don't want to have a heart attack. So they're the sort of things that I'm doing for them. Yeah. Very, very good. So where can our clients or where can our listeners find out more about you? Okay, well, if they want to, my website is drrosswalker.com, so drrosswalker.com. If they want to listen to my radio show, um, I'm on, in Sydney, I'm on 2UE every Sunday night from 6 to 8. It's called Healthy Living, so it's 954 in your AM listening dial. I also go into Brisbane and to Canberra on that particular show and to regional New South Wales as well. I'm on Melbourne uh, on 3RW at 2 o'clock on a Wednesday, Perth, uh, uh, 12.30 Perth time on a, on a Wednesday as well. So, so a lot of different radio shows, they can read any of my books. My latest book is called The Five Stages of Health um, and that's easily available from, from my website. So that's basically how people can find out about me. Fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing your story. It's been great to, to hear um, all the testimonials and the fantastic things that you're doing with your patients. My absolute pleasure, Steph. Lovely to talk to you. Take care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.